The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Good morning, Mile High, and welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim, and by my side, uh, the co-host and sponsor for this program, Tomas Hernandez from Sharing from Tribe Recovery Homes. And Mile High, welcome to Sharing Our Stories this morning. I swear I'm going to get this together. It's early on a Sunday, so, you know, things happen, things happen. Uh, it's, it's been a long morning already. Uh, Tomas, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I am from Sharing Our Stories and Tribe. Let's just get that, get that together <laughs> early in the morning. Happy to be here. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. Mahai, this is sharing our stories. And what this is, is the program where we have different guests come in each week and we stay, we share, I swear we're going to, I'm going to start, <laughs> stop stuttering this morning. We share stories about addiction and recovery. And everybody uh, in this room has dealt with addiction and is currently in recovery. And we believe that through this program, um, by sharing stories, that we can help other people um, whether you're looking to help a family member, a friend, yourself, or you just want to understand what somebody's going through, we can help you um, believe in recovery and, and see that there is a pathway to your recovery because we think that everybody uh, has the ability to deal with their addiction and find their recovery. So welcome this morning. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. If you're new to this program, I think that you're going to uh, get a lot out of it. And so this morning we have another guest coming in. His name, his name is Keith Hayes. I swear it is just a stuttering <laughs> Sunday. Uh, his name is Keith Hayes and uh, he is from Denver, Colorado. And we're going to speak to Keith in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about Tribe Recovery Homes and what they do. They are our sponsor for this program and uh, very thankful for how they help our community here in the Mile High. So Tomas Hernandez, he is the uh, president and CEO of Tribe Recovery Homes. Let them know a little bit about the organization. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Um, for the following listeners, I know you heard this spiel before, but um, basically we are a nonprofit um, in the Denver metro area with uh, treatment Medicaid uh, build. Um, we work with judicial uh, ju- the judicial population. So if you have a our philosophy is if uh, you've drank too much, done too many drugs, you come to Tribe. We're going to help you get through that. We're going to have to make sure that you uh, navigate yourself with uh, mental health and recovery, um, get you with our staff, which is all lived experience, and get you where you need to be, which is off paper or through that fire or when you get out on a post, which is we get you off probation and off paper, like like I just said. So, yeah, with that being said... Um, Pretty honored to be here. There's a whole lot more. I probably spend the whole hour talking about my my, my baby, my brainchild uh, tribe. But uh, this is all about Keith. Thank you for giving me that time to 
Absolutely. If you're dealing with the judicial system, I'll tell you this, Try Recovery Homes um, is an organization that is ready to stand by your side while you go through that. They can be reached at 720-60-TRIBE. That's 720-60-TRIBE or at tryrecoveryhomes.com. So let's uh, get to our guest this morning. His name is Keith Hayes from Denver, Colorado. Good morning, Keith. Slam, thank you for having me today. My man, thank you for coming in because there is no program without people who want to come in and share their story on how they found their recovery. So at this time, we're going to pass it on over to Keith. Keith, uh, this is your time. And Mahai, we're going to let Keith just take over from here and um, tell you how he's... uh, dealt with his addiction and found his recovery. So this morning, we welcome Keith Hayes from Denver, Colorado to sharing our stories. Thank you, Keith. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here. My name is Keith. I'm a grateful recovering addict and alcoholic. And, um, you know, I'm just going to take you back to the to the very beginning. You know, um, I've always been a person who was never really comfortable in my own skin. Um, even growing up, I'm an only child. I was raised by women and I just never felt comfortable in the skin that I was in. Um, I grew up in Northeast Denver. And um, as I was coming up, my mom had got this phenomenal job working at Merle Lynch. She was trying to elevate herself in her career path. And she had me go to school in Lakewood. So I didn't go to school with all the people that I grew up with in my community. And um, she got this job at Merle Lynch and it was out in Lakewood. And she wanted me to go to school uh, out there. So I went to school in Lakewood and I was the only black kid at my entire school. I went to a school called Kendrick Lakes Elementary. And, um, you know, for me growing up, it was so important that I was accepted by everybody. I wanted to make friends with everybody. I wanted to build community with people. That was important to me. And I just remember like really being a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, even in elementary school. Right. I would go to school with my white friends and I would act totally different. Like I would engage in the classroom and I was smart and I was dope at sports. So, you know, I was always the first person picked to play ball and things like that. And, you know, I was the cool black kid at the school and I was the only one there. But I found community with them. I would talk different. I would articulate myself in a different way when I went to school with them. And then when I came back home and I was around kids that looked like me in my community, you know, I would be different. I would play like I didn't know the answers. I would play like I was dumb because where I come from, it wasn't cool to be intelligent or to be smart. Right. Like a lot of people I grew up with, like, you know, that wasn't the cool thing, but I wanted to be accepted by them. So I found myself even at a young age being a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. Trying to find community, trying to find connection with whoever I could. I was an only child. I don't really have a whole lot of family that lives out here. My family lives in Missouri. So like for me, the people I was hanging around with was that was important to me and making those connections and doing those things. So even at a young age, like I already started to have um, some addict and alcoholic tendencies And I didn't even realize that in elementary school. I went to junior high also in Lakewood as well. I went to O'Connell Junior High. And again, I'm still living right in Northeast Denver, but I'm going to school out here. And again, I'm still like I got a whole set of friends over here with my white friends. I got a whole nother set of friends when I come back to the hood uh, with the people that I live with. So it was crazy. Right. And I was being a different person throughout an entire day, right? So um, I just 
could not get to a place where I was just okay with just being me, whatever that looked like. And I was willing to do whatever it takes to fit in. Right. That meant a lot to me, you know. So, you know, as far as my addiction, you know, I, look, I'm not like some of y'all. You know, I think Tomas might have had his first drink when he was like three years old. That wasn't my experience. OK, I jumped off the porch late, as they might say. Right. I think I had my first drink when I was around 12 years old. Um, but man, let me tell you, I felt like I had arrived. All of a sudden, I could articulate myself how I wanted to, right? I was comfortable in my own skin, right? It was a great feeling. I liked the effects produced by alcohol. Those were just the facts, right? And the first time I drank, I drank, I got loaded, I got sick, the whole nine. But I liked how it made me feel, right? And as I grew up even more, I started to make bonds and connections with people around drinking, around smoking weed. Um, I started going to George Washington High School when uh, I was a freshman. So now I'm going to school with kids that look like me, talk like me. We come from the same backgrounds. We come from the same streets. Right. And I'm finding connection with them and I'm finding bonding with them around alcohol, around drugs. Right. And again, we're just partying, having a good time. And that's how it started. Right. That's how it started. And uh, also at the same time, like I seen people in my community. Right. They had gold chains. Right. They had to fly cars. They was out here doing these other things. Now, I was an athlete when I was at, when I was at George. Like I played football. I was dope. I was a sweet wide receiver. Like I had game. I had opportunity to go to college with my football abilities. But I also seen these other dudes over here from the neighborhood, too. Right. And they had these chains. They had these fat pockets. They had this money. Right. They had pretty women. Right. They was over here rocking these colors. And the truth is, is when Snoop Dogg and them came out in the 90s, they had everybody wanting to be a gangster. Right. They had this attraction. Right. It was we wanted what they had. They made it look so cool. Right. So when Snoop Dogg came out with all that gang banging and all that and it was already here in the city and you've seen these dudes out here living what we thought was living. Right. It was attractive. Right. But here's the thing, like you can't do both. Like you can't be this star athlete. Right. And try to be a gang member, too, and be involved in that as well. Right. We seen what happened with Aaron Hernandez. Right. Like that did not work out trying to play both sides like that. Right. And, um, you know, I got to this place in my life where I just really wanted to be a gangster. Like I, those are the things that that was attracted to me. That was more attractive than being willing to put in the work. Right. And go to college and do all those things. I really liked the path of least resistance. Right. That's the easy way. Right. I can go over here, start doing these things. And, you know, I made some choices in my life and I started getting active and involved in the other things. And before you know it, football was no longer on the table for me. I found myself getting into fights at school. I found myself uh, getting busted at school for drinking and having drugs and things like that. And before you know it, I was out of high school. Right. I wasn't even going to school anymore. So my mom said, look, this ain't working. Right. I'm going to ship you off to Job Corps. Right. And already like those addict and alcoholic tendencies were just going there with me. It's like wherever I go. Right. If I ain't making no changes, nothing changes and nothing changes. So that same mentality that I had went out there with me to Utah. Right. And I went out there and was out there cutting up. And uh, before you know it, they was kicking me out of Job Corps. 
So, you know, we was out there acting the fool, drinking and drugging. They kicked me out of job corps. I got sit back here, right? So now I'm 18 years old, right? I don't even realize, I don't even have a thought yet that maybe I have a problem with substances, right? I'm just, I'm just taking it day by day. I'm just having fun, kicking it with the homies, right? Everything is cool. This is how we all living, right? And I didn't have any real role models around me that was trying to show me anything different. Like we thought this is just normal. This is just how you live. And, um, you know, I started working. And I just started, you know, working a nine to five like everybody else. You know, I ended up meeting um, a young lady at a job and uh, we moved in together and got an apartment. Right. We 18, 19 years old. We got our own apartment. We living out in Green Valley Ranch. This is way before Green Valley Ranch looked like what it's looking like now. OK, they had the King Supers out there, some apartment complexes. And that was it. And it was all dirt out there. Right. This is 2000. We out there in Green Valley Ranch. We got our own apartment. We think we live in. We think we doing something, right? And, um, you know, we, we doing things that, that teenagers do. And before you know it, she ended up pregnant. All right. She's pregnant. I'm 18, about to go into be 19. And I got a baby on the way. I can't even take care of myself, let alone try to take care of a baby. But here I am. Right. So I found myself about to be a family man. Now, let's not forget, I told y'all earlier, I'm a real life Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in elementary school. So now I'm about to be a family man and I want to be a gangster and I want to do all these things and I'm out here trying to do both. And um, before you know it, my daughter was here. I'm 19 years old. I got a beautiful little girl, right? And I remember my daughter was just born. I had went out with the homies. This is in January. 2001 okay I go out with the homies we go into the club now I just told y'all I just had a beautiful baby girl I should have been at home with my girlfriend and my daughter but I'm out with the homies right and we going down to a club okay it's called Denver Live back in the gap okay we going to Denver Live we not enough of age to get into the club but we also connected, right? So we them dudes, we come through, right? We got our money. We pay to get in. We in there, underage drinking, kicking it. We had a ball. We had a phenomenal time that night, right? We about to go hook up with some ladies at the IHOP. It's about to go down. It's going to be a good night. Now, I just told y'all a few minutes ago that I should have been at home with my daughter. I'm drunk, drunk, right? I had a, it was a 1998 Toyota Camry. Navy blue, right? It's only a few years old. I told y'all we was out there living, right? We living, y'all. So I thought, so we leave the club. I remember I pulled up down there solo by myself. I asked my homeboy, Pierre. I said, Pierre, why don't you come ride with me, bro? We gonna go up here to the IHOP and go fool with these girls. So he like, cool, I'm gonna ride with you. So he hop in the car and we start riding. And we get down there by Fairmont Cemetery, going down Alameda. Now, I told you I was January, and it had been snowing earlier in that day. And it's all the homies. We all riding by each other. We speeding. We racing. We doing all this crazy stuff. Blasted. I'm coming around Alameda uh, before you get up there to Havana. And uh, I'm coming up Alameda at a high rate of speed. I'm coming around this turn. My car hits ice. It spins out of control. Hits a pole, ejects me and Pierre from the car. I remember waking up and I'm looking up and everybody's standing around me. 
paramedics is coming, firefighters is coming. And I just remember yelling, where's Pierre? Where's Pierre? Is Pierre okay? Is Pierre okay? And I black back out again. And when I wake up, I'm in this bed. And I start to try to move my arms and my legs and yard, you know, I'm shackled up. I'm like, dang, why am I shackled up? What's going on? I remember the detective walking over to my bed and saying, Keith Hayes, you are under arrest for DUI and reckless driving vehicle or homicide. Your friend Pierre is dead. I remember like it was yesterday. I just broke down in tears. Right. And I remember like I was angry. But because I don't know how to take accountability and responsibility for my actions, I was angry at all the wrong things. I was angry at the ice. I was angry at God. I was trying to make excuses for why what happened. But the truth is, as I asked Pierre to get in my car, I was responsible for him. It was my responsibility to make sure that he was safe. I should have never got in that car and drove. I knew I had drank too much, but I couldn't take accountability. And as an addicts and alcoholics, we struggle with accountability. We want to blame everybody else for our circumstances and what's going on in our lives. So I'm facing these charges. And as y'all know, reckless driving vehicle homicide and all that stuff, that come with some serious time. I remember his mom, you know, showing up to my court. And I pled guilty to the reckless driving vehicle or homicide. I pled guilty to the DUI. And she got up there and she spoke on my behalf and asked the judge to be lenient with me, even though I was responsible for her son's death. And the truth is, is she probably shouldn't have had asked for leniency for me. But she did. And I'm just going to say I didn't get the consequences that I deserved. God gave me favor. I did some time. I got out. Now I got resentment, y'all. I got resentments now. I'm resentful at what I did in my actions. I'm resentful at God. Pierre's gone. I can't do nothing to bring him back. Now I need the bottle because this is the only thing I know to use to cope. I don't know how to deal with life on life's terms. I don't know what that looks like. I could be happy, mad, glad, sad. It was always peace and happiness and joy for me. So I thought in that bottle. So before you know it, I'm drinking almost every day. Now, fast forward now, y'all, it's been a few years, okay? I'm like 23, 24 years old. Now, that girlfriend that had my daughter is now my wife. We had a son. They four years apart. And we're started at in Green Valley Ranch for us, and now we're having a house built from the ground up. I'm working a career in finance. She's working a career in, in healthcare, and we were doing okay for ourselves. 
for some young people. We had our own house built from the ground up, had a car, had two beautiful children. You would think I would be happy. You would think I would have some peace. I got the American dream in my early 20s. But I also told y'all earlier that I'm a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And here I am going to work in a suit and tie and coming home, spending a little time with my family. And then I want to go out and do gangsta activities. Right. I want to go run with the homies. I want to go to the clubs. Right. I want to go cut up. But what I didn't know was the harm that I was causing to my wife, to my kids. I'm pretty much drinking on an everyday basis just to cope and deal. And I really didn't realize the harm that I was causing. I thought I was just being a gangster. I thought I was just doing the stuff that we do. But the truth is, is I was causing a lot of harm behind the scenes. So as time passes on, you know, my ex-wife, my wife, you know, she can only take so much. You only take so much. Me ripping and running in the streets. Then it got to the time where I'm not picking up my kids from daycare. I'm not going to work today. I'm going to go out to the club and trick off all of our mortgage money at the club popping bottles. And I stopped because I stopped being a man. And I started following people. And letting them lead me down other paths that I knew was I shouldn't have been doing. But I did it anyway because I told you I want to be accepted. I want you to like me. I want you to be cool with me. And if that means that I got to sell my soul for that, I'll do that. I'll do that. So some years pass along, you know. My wife, she's she tired of my stuff. She tired. Now we in church and we trying to we trying to build we trying to build on our relationship and we trying to work through our issues. Right. She find another man at our church. Right. So before I know it. My wife is fooling around with somebody else I go to church with. And y'all know I ain't going for that. So I am actively threatening their lives on a regular basis. Y'all are not going to be able to stay here and me be okay with it. And the truth is, if they would have stayed in state, I would have killed them both. That's the truth. So they made the right choice and the right decision. And they took my kids and they moved out of state. And they moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And they've been there ever since. And after I lost my kids, I lost hope. They were the one things that was keeping me from totally burning down the house. And once I lost my family, that was it. I didn't feel like I had nothing else to live for. They not even here, y'all. What you mean? The kids aren't here. So I don't have no more responsibility. And then I found ecstasy. Oh, ecstasy was a game changer. I don't know if y'all remember, but when X first came out here, whoo wee, right? We was on it. We was on it. We would be up nights 
four, five, six, seven day runs off of ecstasy, going to the clubs, partying, doing all those things. We thought we was living. We thought we was cool. We thought we was them dudes. But we wasn't. We was just out here pump faking. I didn't ever understand what was really important. I didn't really understand what it meant to truly be a man. Right? I thought because I thought I was tough. I thought because I had a gun. I thought because I was willing to do anything for the section. That I was a man. But the truth is, is I had a family and I gave that family away to somebody else. And that was about the least manly thing that I've done. Right? So now I'm at this place in my life where I'm still working in finance. But look, I'm losing jobs left and right. I'm no call, no showing. It's getting to the point where my life is spiraling out of control, right? You know, by this time, it's 2010, 2011. I was working right here in this building, right? Where we're recording from right now. I would literally go from my office to the car. Now I'm involved in cocaine. I'm loving it. Powder cocaine changed my life. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I promise you it did. And the thing is, it's like it, you had to be so secretive about it because you didn't want none of the homies to know, right, that you was on the download doing cocaine because that's not accepted, right? You can get violated for that type of stuff, right? The disease of addiction is a disease of lies and deceit. And before you know it, I couldn't keep a job anymore. I couldn't keep a job anymore. Yeah, you know, I went through these crazy relationships with different women after that. They were all toxic. I was toxic. They were toxic. And my last relationship is really kind of like what spun me out, you know, into my last run in addiction. I was uh, with this girl and we were living together and uh, we wanted to have a baby and she got pregnant and I was excited. And about a week later, she told me, well, just so you know, this baby might not be yours. Wow. Is that right? And I waited nine months for the baby to be born. Only to find out. That the baby wasn't mine. I am not the pappy. And that spun me out. Broke my heart. I always wanted another kid. And that was the moment in my life that sent me on the last run. And before you know it, I was selling dope all over town. Ripping and running up and down Koufax. Slanging dope all down the east side. Finding myself getting arrested. Getting arrested again. Getting arrested again. Shooting at people. Getting shot at. 
just causing harm to my community. And I got to this place where I just didn't want to live no more and I didn't care how it turned out. It just didn't matter. I was on so much cocaine and and just drinking every day. I was the dude showing up at the Downing Liquor Store at 7.30. It don't open up till 8, y'all. I'm at the, come on, open. I got the shakes. I got to have it. I got to have it. And I will do whatever it takes to get it. Robbing people at gunpoint. Whatever it took to get what I needed, I was willing to do. I caused a lot of harm. I remember being in jail and my kids is writing me letters saying, Dad, how come you keep choosing the streets over us? I didn't have an answer for him, y'all. I didn't have an answer. All I knew is, is once I start, I cannot stop. I can't stop for my kids. I can't stop for my mama. I cannot stop for Denver Police Department. I can't stop for nobody. I'm broken. I'm beaten. I'm a man full of resentments and fear and anger. It didn't used to always be like that. I was functional for a long time. Coached Little League football, won a lot of Super Bowls. Like I had a time in my life where I was still productive, where I was still showing up and trying to do positive things. But addiction brought me to my knees. I remember times where I'm crying, trying to stop, but I just couldn't stop. Two thousand and seventeen, I went for a walk. I got off the block. I was on over there by Koufax in Yosemite area. I had been living in the Seven Star Hotel for about the last three years of my life. I'm on the run from probation. I hadn't reported to my PO. It was like six months, y'all. So you know I got a warrant out for my arrest. I already got another three-year DOC on my head for not completing probation. So I know I'm on my way back to prison. I'm on my I'm on my way back to jail. Period. That's just what it is. I went to sleep in a park. I slept in that park. And when I woke up the next morning, I said, I don't want to do this no more. I can't do this anymore. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got ounces of dope back at our hotel room, guns, cash, all kind of stuff. I didn't call the homies. I didn't call anybody. I just left and I started walking and I walked all the way up to a 7-Eleven on Havana and 6th Avenue. In Aurora, I walked up to somebody and I said, hey, I need to use your phone. Got the phone. I called my mom and I said, please come get me. 
At the time, the relationship with my mom was so strained that if I went into my mom's house, a couple of things had to happen. I had to strip down butt naked in the garage just to come in because she was too scared that I was going to bring bed bugs into her home because I was on all the motels on Kofax. So I had to strip down naked before I could even come in. My mom would go into the bathroom and she would take her purse with her because she didn't know what I might do. You talking about a hopeless feeling when your mom is willing to take her person to the bathroom with you because she don't trust you? Yeah, that's hopeless. That's all bad. The one, per, the one woman who raised me through thick and thin, put money on my books, got me attorneys, did everything in her power to try to keep me out of trouble, moved from St. Louis, Missouri here to Denver because she thought coming to Denver I would be safe and not involved in the life and what did I do I got into the life anyway wow that's how I showed my love and respect for my mom but she came and got me and I remember her taking me into the house she said I don't know what you're gonna do son but you can't stay here you can't stay here I don't know what you're gonna do I said, look, you know, I'm on the run from probation. I'm about to go to jail. Just take me down here so I can go turn myself in and go get this time done. And I'm going to try to figure out how I'm going to get sober. She took me down to probation. We get down to Denver probation. I see my PO. And she says, I want you to look at that board up there. She said, on that board is everybody's name who I'm going to revoke their probation. I just told y'all that I hadn't seen my PO in months. I didn't know UAs, no nothing. Only by the grace of God, she had not revoked my probation yet. You can't make this stuff up. It just doesn't happen like that. She said, if you really want to get sober, I'm going to let you get sober. She said, go find a program you can get into. Now, I have no insurance. I didn't have nothing going on. I don't know nothing about no recovery, y'all. I don't know nothing about none of this stuff. I look up this place and I found this organization called the Salvation Army. Now, for those of you that don't know, the Salvation Army, ARC, is not some Malibu Beach Club treatment facility. It's for cats straight off the street, gutter drunks, the real deal, holy fields. And it's, a pro, and it's serious. Like, they don't play no games with you. So if you go up in there, you better be ready because if not, they're going to kick you out and get somebody else in there. And I got into the Salvation Army. Now, you got to work there in the warehouse. That's how you pay, right, for your bed. So you work all day long in the warehouse. And then you get to do recovery and things like that in the evenings. I didn't know nothing about recovery, y'all. I remember the first time I met with the CAC therapist and I told her my story. She said, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to be able to help you. But what I can suggest to you is you might want to go to one of those 12 step meetings over there and see if you can find some hope over there because you pretty messed up. That's what she told me. 
I'm like, dang, this is what recovery's like? Okay, cool. Right? At the Salvation Army, y'all, I had to learn how to brush my teeth again, how to wash my face, how to brush my hair, how to take a shower consistently, how to eat breakfast again. In active addiction, I lost my humanity. I lost my dignity. I wasn't even doing the normal things that we're we just supposed to be doing as humans. I'm out here trying to maim people in there. Like, it's crazy when I think about it now. But active addiction, it is so crazy how normal that life becomes. It was normal, y'all. It was normal. So I went to one of those 12-step meetings they were talking about. And I heard a man there, white man. I think at the time he had like 27 years sober. I was like, how you do that? He, he looked nothing like me. His story was nothing like mine. But what he talked about was the emotions and the feelings that we feel when we're in active addiction. Terror. Bewilderment. Frustration. And despair. And that is what me and that man had in common. That was that common bond that linked us. And he told my story. I felt just how this man felt, even though we had nothing in common. But that, that linking factor of those feelings and emotions and what we put our families through, I immediately found connection. Now, the cool thing is like, as I started going to more 12-step meetings, more gangsters started showing up. Yeah. More gangsters started showing up. People that I could resonate with. But they wasn't doing gangster stuff no more. They was in recovery. They was carrying the hospitals and institutions meeting into the Salvation Army. And I found like-minded individuals who looked like me, talk like me, sound like me. But they had been clean and they was helping others get clean. And those men gave me some hope. I stayed in the Salvation Army for eight months, impatient, no cell phone, no nothing, totally disconnected from the world. And I fell in love with recovery. I fell in love with the effects produced by recovery. I got a sponsor. And I started working the steps and I started dealing with my stuff. And I found out I had a whole lot of resentments. I was living in a whole lot of fear. I learned how to deal with my anger in a positive way. I realized that I was an addict and an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. And I got sober. And I stayed sober one day at a time. My sobriety date is July 29th, 2017. And I haven't had to have a drink or a drug. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I went back to working in finance after I got the Salvation Army. And I was in 12-step rooms going crazy, y'all. I was trying to bring that fire. I wanted to help every single person I came into contact with. I got started getting people's attention. And I got this opportunity. 
to become the director of recovery at 5280 High School. A school that serves students that struggle with substance abuse, self-harm, eating disorders, and other destructive behaviors. And I realized that God kept me through all this because he had a plan for my life. To be able to go back to high school where I told y'all my life spiraled out of control. To go back and help kids not make the same destructive mistakes that I made. And I get to suit up and show up for them every day and show them how to live one day at a time without drugs. It's crazy. Just six years ago, y'all was homeless living on the streets. And today, I help facilitate and run a recovery high school. I get to bring other people into recovery and put them on the payroll and help them start making a living. I get to give back to the same community that I tried to tear down. What recovery has given me today is purpose. I have purpose today. You hear guys like Slim and Tomas share their stories, help carry this message. We have purpose. And my hope today is that somebody out there today gets some hope. We do recover one day at a time. There is multiple pathways to recovery. You got to figure out what works best for you. And once you do, you stay in that lane. Help people along the way. Be of maximum service to your community and others. That's what life is like today. And the same way that that chaos and calamity that I was living in, this new life, this new purpose that I have today is just as normal. I wake up in the morning, I pray and meditate. I turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God. I clean house. I help others. And I try not to control my life anymore. And I try to allow God to direct my path. I'm grateful for this life, for these friendships, for the people that I have come into contact with. It's an awesome life, y'all. But a price has to be paid. Self-centeredness, selfishness, dishonesty. You got to get honest. Not with other people. You got to get honest with yourself. You got to get honest with yourself. And it's okay. I know you out there struggling. I know it's hard. I know you feel like that you're in a hole so deep that you can't get out of it, but you can. Because we will jump in that hole with you and show you the way out. But you got to reach out. You got to ask for help. In the black community, we it is instilled. It is drummed into us to not ask anybody for help. If you've got a problem, you got to ask. You got to figure it out for yourself. Because if you ask somebody, they're going to want something back in return. But if it wasn't for the men and women who showed up and helped me, 
for that probation officer that allowed me to go to treatment. She saved my life. Because I was willing to ask for help. And even to this day, y'all, five years later, it's one day at a time. It's working my program that works for me the way that it's suggested. It's me not trying to dictate life and just dealing with life on life's terms and carrying the message to the addict and alcoholic who still suffers. So I love you guys. I appreciate you guys for having me on the show today. It's such a blessing. And if there's anybody out there struggling, please reach out. Please reach out. We're here and we're free. I'll take another 24. I Man, I just, I, I want to stand up and clap for you. Like, I'm so proud of you, bro. Thank you. And my, this is Keith Hayes who's been speaking and I thank you for sharing and I salute you for escaping your struggles and man, straight up, man, I love you, bro, man, like for real. Like I love this program because like if you just, like if you, if you can't listen to what he just said and, and take something from that and feel that, then you weren't listening. And I'm just going to tell people right now, like if you heard that and you're like, I need to share what he said with somebody, you can go um, and you'll find this on our on our on our websites. And we'll give you that information in a few minutes. Stick around. But um, dude, just thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. And I, I appreciate what you do. Tell me that. Tell me about this high school. Sure. Tell me about 5280 High School. Sure. Yes, please, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's focus on that What the time that we have right now. Sure. So, Melissa Mouton, who is our executive director and founder of our school. Great woman. She was on her way to go do her residency to become a doctor. And she found herself an active addiction herself. And she went to a treatment center. And she was afforded all these opportunities because she was a doctor to get this great care and treatment. She went to a meeting and met a 16-year-old kid that went to a very prominent high school here in Denver. The kid had six months clean off of heroin. And she asked him, what did you have to do to get clean off of heroin for six months? You're half my age. What did you have to do? The first thing the young man said is, I had to drop out of high school. There's drugs everywhere. This new teen culture is drug culture. That's all they hear in the music. That's how they deal with life on life's terms. And if I want to quit heroin, I can't go to high school, so I got to drop out. And she already had an educational background prior to going to do her residency. And she had this burning idea like, nah, this is not okay. Kids not, not have to drop out of high school just to get their high school diploma because there's too much drugs there. And she had this burning idea to start a recovery high school. So in 2018, 5280 launched, serving students who struggle with substance abuse. And now five years later, we're the largest recovery high school in the country. Most recovery high schools are private schools. Somebody offered her when she opened up the school a million dollars to keep it private. Melissa believes in equity. No matter what your social economic situation is, you should have access to our school. Amen. It is a free 
public charter high school in Denver. We have kids that come to our school from all over the metro area, and it's free for them to go there. And that's important. Equity is critical. So our school is public. It's free. Any kid with the desire to want to be sober or learn how to be sober can attend our school. We have recovery coaches. We have teachers who are in recovery. We have mental health professionals who come in and meet with the kids to help them unpack some of that trauma. We have partnerships in the community that helps kids get into treatment if need be. The alternative peer groups, which is like outside recovery programs where the kids can go hang out together and go have fun and build community. Because a teenager does not want to be sober if they can't have fun. So they got to have these, these community partnerships so they can go do after school where they can go find community and fun and stay sober while doing it. So we help partner them with different organizations that does the heavy lifting on the recovery side when they're not in school. And then we have our recovery program at school. We start our day talking about recovery, right? Right now we're going through some of the principles of recovery. Today's message was about forgiveness, right? And before I can go forgive everybody else, I need to forgive myself, for the harm that I've caused my parents, harm that I've caused myself, right? And as I work through that and forgiving myself, now I can start to forgive other people who have caused me harm, right? Tomorrow we're going to talk about discipline and what it means to have a, a disciplined life. So just taking kids, learning them the principles of recovery and how we apply those principles in the classroom. How do we apply them at home with our families? How do we apply them at work? How do I apply them when I'm in this Colorado traffic? Right. And that's what it's about. Showing kids how to live one day at a time, happy, joyous and free without drugs. And uh, I was just I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And we want to build a 5280 in every community. I would love to have one in Colorado Springs. I would love to have one in other states like youth recovery is very critical. You know, we got kids out here dying. Y'all this fentanyl is killing our kids. It's real. It's real. So we on the front lines to support our kids. Um, and it's important. It's an important mission. If we can get the kids now, we can break up this, help break up this school to prison pipeline. Keep kids out of prison. Get kids into college. Get kids into trade school. And that way they don't have to go through the same things that all three of us went through. And they can just, I got kids right now that are seniors. I got three and four years clean. And that's awesome. So it's an awesome opportunity, man. I'm grateful. And uh, we're we going to keep trudging one day at a time. And uh, just so you guys know, 5280 is hiring. We got a bunch of positions open right now. We're growing. So please feel free to go to our website at www.5280highschool.org. Check out those positions if you're interested in serving kids in recovery. And um, we can go ahead and get a shot of that over there. Yeah. We pulled up their website as we're speaking, so um, we also have this on video, Malai. If you want to be able to check out the video, um, you can do that on Tomas's Facebook page. Um, how many kids you guys got there? So right now we got about 105, 106 kids. I want to salute all 105, 106 kids, man. Shout out to the kids at 5280. I love you guys. And, uh, you know, we have partnerships with, you know, treatment and we enroll all year around. So whenever a kid is coming out of a treatment facility or they just need an intervention right then and there, need a change of school, we enroll all year around. So that way kids can have access to our school. There's no waiting list. You want to come to our school with a desire and willingness to want to learn how to be sober, we're here.
That that was the next question I was going to ask. How do you handle? Tell the crowd how you can handle. Uh, you guys handle diversion and types of expulsions, and they need addiction. What is the approach to fifty two eighty on that? On yeah, that so I mean, I've got kids at my school now that were expelled in other districts and things like that, and now they're at our school being successful, and they get the opportunity to be around. See, awesome. it's all about attraction, right? If I've never been around any sober kids, I don't know what that looks like. And I show up to this school and all these kids are sober and they're cool and they look like me and they talk like me. And we got the same experiences. Oh, wow. You guys are making recovery look cool. Okay, I'm with this. Right. And they get into our community and it's like, oh, this is sweet. Keith, you showing up in your polo jumpsuit. You got your J's on. You got the nice ride. You living. You still cool, but you sober, bro. Yeah, bro. I'm sober. It's what we doing. This is yeah, this is the new fly. You didn't know? Oh, come on, get down with us. Right? And that's, you got to be able to meet kids exactly where they at. You know? So, you know, that's it. That's the magic. If it's not attractive, they not rocking with it. You got to make it look attractive to kids. Mm -hmm. Right? You got to meet them wherever they're at. I got kids who are working through the gang stuff right now. I'm about to have Tomas come up there and meet with a few of them so he can get them some game around that. And we bring different people in to, to share their experiences with our kids so they don't go down those paths. But I want everybody. I want all the kids. You struggling? You want to learn how to live a different life? I want to help you. That's why God kept me alive, bro. I should be dead. Man, I swear this show is the best. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, if, man, you're helping people right now. And I'm sure if, there, if anything, if there's a parent out there who's like, man, this is what my kid needs. Absolutely. Um, go to 5280highschool.org yeah. and, and start learning about the process to get your child into that school. Because without a doubt, I'm sure that they'll find that they want it. They're probably, your, your child probably wants it. You guys talk about it. Yeah. And this is the pathway to take for that. Keith, thank you so much for sharing and coming in and for the work that you do in the community. Like you said, this is the, the pathway that your life was supposed to go. My man. And that's the tremendous thing. Well, thank you because you are allowing us to have a platform to share our experience, strength, and hope. And without this platform, right, you're also doing your part, so thank you. And you've been doing this for years, bro. We in this together, man. Man, my man. Yes, sir, my know? man. You're like, you my need man. me, you just ask. My we, man. We, we, team. <laughs> this is the team right my now. Man. You know, and that team, it expands through so many people in this community. You know, every single one of our guests that comes in, like, it, 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 this, like I said, I love this program because yeah. what you do by coming in to share is something that I believe helps other people. Um. Yeah, definitely. Um, and a couple things, too, is remember that this is also, um, you can take donations, and if you feel inclined to, to, to pitch in with these kids, get on the website. Um, I do know Melissa personally. Um, what's great about this show is we got an all-star roster coming in through here, and it's people that have been watching this show for years and getting in recovery, and actually you're going to see the true organic transformation and the success through our community, through recovery. So with that being said, to get back to 5280, Melissa and Keith is one of those. You know, it was in development when Slim started this show. You know, when I first got on this show, it was, uh, Tribe was two houses. You know what I mean? Me and Dan were sharing the same burritos trying to figure out when we were going to get the next, 
you know who's going to get the next paycheck <laughs> and who had the second job. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's about the tenacity about our city. It's not all about negativity because I'll tell you what, we have some people really walking the walk and talking the walk in this community. And you need to learn how to get connected with that. And, you know, me as a parent, me and my, my wife, um, fortunately with a, a couple of things that we had, we've made it through our path, but I've seen working with these, these, uh, these high schools, there's not a lot to offer and there's a lot of gaps of service and 5280 fills that. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, when, when you're a parent and you have a, a son or a daughter that's under addiction and has cases and they're being expelled and they have nowhere to go. Yep. A lot of people in the community don't know where to go. Yep. And that's why I really wanted to get Keith up on here. And I really want to talk to Melissa to actually have her come on the show as well to talk about that because, you know, there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful things. And, you know, that's the thing about recovery with Melissa. That was just an idea that she had. Yep. She could be making money being a doctor right now doing plastic surgery for right all we now. know. Right but now. she went ahead and put her hat in the ring and it became the biggest recovery program in the country. Mm-hmm. A woman in recovery just talking to a 16-year-old. See how powerful that is, y'all. So I know I jumped in and we got about three minutes left. <laughs> Let me jump back over to... Uh, to slam our our master ceremonies here and well i just gotta say once again thank you keith keith hayes of denver colorado has been our guest this morning he is the director of recovery at 5280 high school you can check out that high school at 5280highschool.org please look into it whether you want to have a family member attend that school or you you're like man i just learned about it and i want to make a donation to help that school um please check it out um I want to thank Tomas and Tribe Recovery Homes for making this program possible. If you're somebody who's struggling in addiction and you're looking for your pathway to recovery, uh, as Keith said, there are many pathways to recovery. And if Tribe Recovery Homes or 5280 High School isn't that pathway that helps you, we will work to find you one that does. So it can all start with a phone call. It can start with just calling 720-60-TRIBE. And somebody there will take that phone call. And if they can't help you, that will find someone who can help you if you want to make that happen we can help you make that happen Uh, you can also learn more at triberecoveryhomes.com also if you want to if you want to go back and you want to listen to Keith's story from the beginning again or you want to share this with somebody because it's a powerful powerful thing that he shared this morning you can go to jammin1015.com or flowdenver.com you will find this in its entirety and you can share it you can post it on your social media you can pass it on to a friend you can text it to somebody and tell them hey listen to this man and i think that he's going to he's going to touch you in less than an hour with what he has to say. So Malhai, this is sharing our stories. We're here each Sunday and we share stories of addiction and recovery and we spread hope. And that's what this is all about. And we want you to know that there is a pathway to recovery for everybody. Uh, We firmly believe that. You just have to want it. That's the thing, you have to want it. Amen. Um, My name is Slim, Tomas Hernandez here, and of course Keith Hayes. From Denver, Colorado. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Oh, man, it's such a blessing, man. Thank y'all. Shout out to Tomas, man. That's my boy. That's my boy. He a Raider fan, but that's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Don't share that with people. Here's the thing. We, we, can keep, do, that, we keep that part secret. I know that the truth is, is that, hey, we all have our character defects. and. 
He's from Sacramento. Uh, he's the Broncos, man. What the uh, okay. Bro, I'm from Denver. Thank you. Yes, he's yeah. from Denver. <laughs> he is proud. He is proud. Mahai, uh, thank you for giving us your time this morning. Please share this program. Please check it out. If you didn't hear it from the beginning, like I said, go to our website and uh, hear what Keith has to say. Keith, thank you this morning. Mahai, join us again next Sunday, 7 a.m. We'll be right here on your radio on Jammin 1015 and Flow 1071. Or, of course, you can find us online if you missed the program from the get-go. All right. This is Sharing Our Stories. And thank you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Absolutely.